This is Warren Leatham, and you're listening to our Minds on Music podcast. All right, man. Thank you. This is an interview uh, that uh, Jeremy did while I was absent with uh, his good friend Warren. Warren Leatham. Quite a uh, accomplished animator. Yeah, he's done a lot of great stuff in film. And we invited him based on the fact that we're talking about um, film, but in a couple different ways now. It's actually grown, evolved, because we started off just talking about scoring for film, TV, and video games. Mm -hmm. We also connected back to how to create income streams in music business. Yeah. In our interview here, Warren's going to talk a little bit about connections that he made listening to our last episode. It's actually quite interesting when you listen to the whole episode because he really goes places that I did not expect. How do you mean? Well, um, first of all, he talks about rhythm. He talks about keeping your options open and, and all the different areas that you can make money in animation or and, and or in filmmaking mm-hmm. uh, that isn't related to music. A lot of the things that we also discussed, just by the way, he also has to think about when he's doing his job. Yeah, I, I did find that interesting. It, it was <laughs> like everything we do here, unscripted and unprompted, really. Yeah. Like, uh you know, serendipity. Serendipity. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that Warren mentions, even the terminology that he uses, you and I use when we talk about music, yep. and he's just talking about it from a from a forty five degree angle, different. Yeah. You know? He uh, talks you about know, chops. He talks about rhythm. He talks about timing. He talks about expression. He talks about the importance spots. of how it makes you feel, rather than the technological side of it. Yeah. Which is something you and I talked a lot about. I think it's a really interesting interview. Um, and I think we should probably get to it. Get to it. Go, man. All right. So let's do um, let's do the intro thing. If you can um, just introduce a little bit who you are and some of your experiences in this industry. All right. Um, well, I'm uh, Warren Latham, and I've been an animator for probably animator and animation supervisor for about 25 years now. So um, working on film and TV. So back in the day, from like. Uh, you know, the first X-Men and Dr. Doolittle to, um, you know, Life of Pi and Man of Steel um, to the Disney live action remakes of like Maleficent and Cinderella and um, up to like War of the Planet of the Apes, Rampage and a whole lot of bad movies and TVs in between there as well. So um, uh, we don't talk yeah. about those ones. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that you're doing this. I know for us, we're just starting up but we started talking about movies and i was like hey i know a guy who works in movies and has done so for a long time yeah yeah no i thought it was you know i was kind of thinking about it i'm like what the hell could i talk about music i'm like i don't know but then there's things like i was even thinking of for you know just animating stuff um when i'm like looking at it or reviewing stuff and we don't have any audio no dialogue no music or whatever but i kind of follow like look for something with beats right so it's um like say someone's walking or something like that and they're like it's really boring right so like when Mm -hmm. i'm looking at something like that like something changing the rhythm of the kind of shot when you're watching it right so it's always like little beats of how the motion's going that kind of makes sense so you're kind of hearing the rhythm while you're watching something so wow so you're just hearing that in your head or do you like play something like do you play some music no just in your head so you're just like kind of like you see in something that so many times, like a lot of animation you see, it's like 
they hit almost every syllable that they talk about. Like they're hitting different poses for everything that they do instead of like getting some kind of rhythm where it's like changes of how you're hitting the poses and everything like that. And there's even things like just the frame counts that you're doing. So you kind of know there's 24 frames in a second. So if you're doing like 12 frame cycle, you know, then that's like half a beat every kind of half, uh, something's happening every half second kind of thing. So for like walk cycles, you can walk on eights or 16s or whatever. If you do something really quick, then you're walking on fours kind of thing. It was just one of the things I started thinking of. I'm like, well, it's not really music, but it's kind of like always looking at like how the rhythm of something visual happens that you kind of pay attention to. And so it's like, you're kind of like watching those things. And even for like a light character, so it's like really light and tiny, like little mm-hmm. animated character. It's like, ding, 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 and, you know, it kind of has that rhythm to it. Whereas like a normal person, is, dun, 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 and then big person's like, boom, boom, boom. You know, so animators will do that all the time when they're like looking at something, they'll be doing these little sound effects. You're saying you use sound in your head to envision how, like the rhythm of how an action is happening, even though there's not music actually playing, it's just... Yep. To give it a, a more of a real life feel or to give it a specific feel like when you did the all of those sounds there i was thinking quarter notes half notes eighth notes sixteenths like when you said do it in eighths or sixteenths i was thinking eighth notes and sixteenth notes but you mean frames per second frames per second yeah frame like so you're like with that kind of rhythm of stuff a lot so yeah so that's very that's very similar to music because when every piece of music that we play we divide it into one measure which is like, let's say if we're in four, four time, it's a, it's four beats. And then we subdivide mm-hmm. that by, you know, we just keep subdividing the notes to faster and faster things. So it's actually a similar idea. 24 frames in one second, you said? Yep. So we can definitely make a comparison of that. What would four frames be in represented as a note? Would it, I think that would be a 16th note, but I'm not sure. Wait a second there, Jeremy. Let's clarify <laughs> something here. So we're talking about it's not a 16th, is it? Well, not really. It's so you're talking about beats per minute versus frames per second. So he's talking about 24 frames per second, which uh, if you're... Let's let's take a standard 120 beats per minute okay. pop so, song. Okay, so hold on. But you mentioned oh. this when you and I were chatting before, and okay. I think it's worth mentioning. Sure. Um, the 60, 60 beats per minute is roughly resting adult heart rate. Right. Well, 60 beats per minute, too, that correlates to 60 seconds per minute. Correct. Right. And that's why a lot of pop music is actually recorded at 120 beats yeah. per minute because it's twice the resting heart rate. Gets my old heart going. It gets you. It's like a defibrillator, that that's thing. That's like just a shock Oof. to the system. <laughs> and so musicians think about how many beats per minute they're going to record the speed of their song, at least when you hit the studio. Like maybe they, they don't do the same thing live, but in the studio... So you mentioned that Stevie Wonder oh, superstition. superstition is down low. I think it's around 105 or something like that. Right. And that's just for effect to, it's not to necessarily, not that you wouldn't dance to superstition, right. but it would be more like a groove right. than you just, a dance. You're just going to, you're just going to like. Bob your head. Yeah, exactly. You want you to bop <laughs> your head a bit. And what's interesting about what he says is that he's already visualizing a rhythm. Yes. When he animates, which is really cool. I uh, thought that he called it a, a walk. Like he used the example of a walk cycle. Mm-hmm. So when you have a character walking, mm-hmm. like um, whatever movie he's working on, um, he's thinking about how does that character move? And he said, if you just have like basically um, 
one step per, let's say, half half a second mm-hmm. or one step per second, it gets really boring. So you try to give it some rhythm. So he himself, he sits in, um, he, he animates it out, but then when he's reviewing it, he thinks in his mind, what what rhythm does he want? Yeah. You know, so it could be like, do, 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 or whatever. And he would think, okay, how is that person walking to that rhythm? And just to clarify, he's not a musician, right? No. So no. so he's thinking not in terms of a musician, but he's, he is thinking in terms of rhythm Feel. patterns and choreography, really. Yes. And so. and that's what I love about this. Uh, Warren mentioned at one point, um, I, I don't think it's in the recording that we have here, <laughs> similar to when you and I record, we talk a lot, and then I use some of that right. when I when I do the splices and stuff. Yeah. Um, but, oh, I thought it was all spontaneous. Oh, it's totally spontaneous <laughs> at the moment of recording. <laughs> he um, Warren talks at one point about, uh, when he and I were chatting, about he thought it was really bold of us as a music podcast to invite an animator who sure. feels he knows nothing about music. But I say feels he knows nothing about music because he's actually a music lover. Like, yeah. um, he and I have had lots of conversations about bands that we both that we both like. He mentions Rush in this mm-hmm. uh, interview Who's here. Who's that, Rush? Never heard of them. <laughs> they're a little Canadian band. Right. Well, oh, they're about again this, with the Canadians. There's like this big, you know, they're like three <laughs> apples high, basically. <laughs> yeah. He mentions Rush and he loves... Uh, Iron, um, uh, Judas Priest. And oh, really? Huge Motorhead fan. Lemmy. Yeah. So, um, so he and I have talked about music. And what I was trying to say to him, the reason, the idea of having him on this episode is that, um, like Quincy Jones said, I mentioned this in our lap, last Love episode. Love that quote. You know, just a couple of notes put in the right order at the right time can unite a whole theater worth of, filled with people, mm-hmm. right? And that's the idea. Like, he doesn't know... He didn't realize when he was saying 16th and 8th and, and 4s that I was thinking in terms of notes because yeah. he didn't know that they're called that. But the math is similar. But the math is similar and it's about how it makes you feel. Yeah. So the fact that he uses rhythm in his animation when he's going back and reviewing his work, that's the, that's the whole crux of this thing mm-hmm. is that you don't have to understand every little nuance of theory of music to know what you like and don't like and right. to know what how it makes you feel. And and to know that the way you're setting it up is not necessarily for the for the um, for the guy who's doing the scoring. It's more for how the story develops yeah. and how to make it interesting as you go along. Here, let's go back to Warren. Back to you, buddy. Back to you, Warren. Rotten Tomatoes always has the, you know, what the Rotten Tomato score is of movies, right? So we used to do a thing where we would go, okay, let's calculate all the movies you worked on and see what your Rotten Tomato score is, right? So, um, so yeah, you just average it out and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm at the 23% of the Rotten Tomatoes on all the movies I worked on. So, you know, you worked on a lot of, a lot of not successful movies when uh, that happens. So, yeah. That's amazing. And you know what kills me about that, like the Rotten Tomatoes thing? The <laughs> I keep on going back to this movie, the Herbie fully loaded it was like four point something it was less than five on rotten tomatoes yeah. right? and i'm looking at the people who were in it the people just the list of the music people who worked on that film it was amazing like it was there's a lot of talent in there yeah you know? Uh, you know it's hard to get that stuff you know to work a lot of times there's lots of talent involved in things and you're everyone's trying their hardest to do it and it just 
it just doesn't come through. Like it just doesn't work. You know, um, it's, it's not the great, it's harder to get something great. I mean, for music, definitely the same way. Like you, you'll have bands that you love. You're like, these guys are amazing. And then they'll put in another album. And you're like, I don't like this at all. And, uh, you know, so. Well, um, that, that's one thing, but there's also like, Sometimes I remember hearing John Travolta do a, a quote where he said, you know, he had done the um, Tarantino movie Pulp Fiction, you know, yep. and people were just raving. Oh, you know, he's he's come back 10 times stronger than ever and blah, blah, blah. And he said, you know what? I'm not as good as they say I am now. And I wasn't as bad as they said I was back then. You yeah, know, it's it has a lot to do with just sort of the, the media stuff. I know so many bands who should be huge. And they're not because they just didn't have all the boxes ticked. You know, they didn't have whatever was missing out of that checklist of things that you have to have to be huge. Well, you look at Rush. I mean, Rush is, you know, you hear all musicians talk about like, this is three guys making those sounds. And like, and like you talk to a musician and they're like, oh yeah, these guys just had the chops. Like they were really like, why weren't they as, big in this they just never made it in the states as big right so um yeah you never know you know maybe it was their look like you see some of those album covers where they're wearing like white tights <laughs> and outfits and it's like oh that was a bad choice yeah, i mean the, the foo fighters did a great sort of spoof but in in an interesting way because they did a spoof of that those outfits but then they played those songs note for note and like the thing that I find as a musician, musicians that I talk to who say that they consider Rush to be an influence, a lot of times it doesn't mean that they can play a lot of their songs. Like I once yeah. I once talked to a singer and I said, let's do a Rush song. And she said, okay, as long as it's YYZ. <laughs> yeah. Instrumental. The instrumental. Actually, just thinking about that, I, I think I mentioned this to you before, but um, one of the animators that I worked on, I think it was a show called, I think it was Angela Anaconda, uh, animated show that we worked on, but uh, one of the animators was a guy named Ian DeSau. And um, so afterwards, I'm walking down the street and I saw him on Queen Street, probably by the horseshoe or something like that, like walking down the street, I saw him. I'm like, hey man, how's it going? Um, and he's like, awesome. I just got signed. I'm going to be a rock star. And so I was like, I was like, that's amazing. That's just like great for you. Cool. I didn't even know he played music. But so uh, Ian DeSauz and Billy Talent. Um, Billy Talent. Yeah. So, yeah. So they, um, again, they like, I actually saw them. They came to when I was in Australia. Uh, one of the people that was in Australia as well knew him pretty good. So we went to see him, went backstage just to have some drinks after the show or whatever. It's like still super nice guy and everything but yeah a lot of people again billy town's pretty big in canada um i'm not sure worldwide how big they are right um that's a really cool story and he wants to love that as well being in australia and he meets up with two friends who are his friends four or five of us that all went to see him because we all worked together at the same company in toronto for doing animation uh, there's a lot of people for in animation and everything to play music have bands do all that um I think there's just something uh, I'm not. I tried to pick up the guitar. You tried to teach me something one time and bow, bow, bow. And Black Sabbath. And that was pretty much, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty much my extent of uh, musical ability. But, um, but I do think that there's something to be said that, you know, visual creativity, uh, you know, audio cre uh, creativity, um, music, sound, visual, all that kind of stuff, writing and everything like that. I think there's sometimes the, 
it's hard to be good in all of them, but there's some of those people that would be good at like multi things that just are super creative. Okay, now this comes back to <laughs> <laughs> trying to make this as natural as possible. You don't think people will notice that we put these in afterwards? I who knows? Who I mean, knows? They might just be listening. I go, wow, what happened? <laughs> they don't know. They don't know. People don't. How know. are they going to know? They're How are they going to know? They're going to know. Now, this goes back to our Making Money Making Music uh, podcast where we were discussing, yes, you want to keep your options open, be able to do a, a number of things, but become good at one thing, get, become really proficient at one thing, focus on that, make that your main, uh, your main source of income. Yeah. Later on, I, I, um, I believe... I can't remember if it was part of like recording or if it was just Warren and I talking, but he does mention that fear uh, or the the worry of becoming a jack of all trades in the sense, like my grandmother used to say it. My grandmother used to say a jack of all trades is a master master of none, none, right? And there's the worry that you're keeping your avenues open so that you don't end up like stifling yourself and cutting off possibilities. At the same time, you want to make sure that you're gravitating towards something that you bec- can become a master of. Well, and how do you get a master of? What was it Malcolm Gladwell said? Something like 12,000 hours or? 10,000. 10,000 hours. And then they and changed it. it even um, da- Daniel Levitin in his book, uh, it's not Our Mind on Music. It's Your Brain on Music, isn't oh, it? Oh, okay, yeah. We sort, of, we sort of appropriated that, that yeah. thing. Um, but he says that it's 10,000 focused hours. Right. You can spend 10,000 hours on anything, but if you're not focused, it doesn't matter. Right. right? So if you're, if you're animating or if you're doing whatever it is that you do and you're not mastering it, you're not going to get the jobs. Right. It's as simple as that. Right. And in Warren's case, um, what I understood from what he was saying was that um, he started out being compositing and doing all those things that he mentions, right? Yeah. And he found that animating what was was what he really liked doing. Yeah. It was um, so he little by little sort of um, filtered down to doing that thing. Yeah. And so now he's known as an animator. People will call him to do that job, and he gets enough work just doing that because they know if they call him, he'll do a great job. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of how we plan out uh, middle school to high school for our curriculum planning mm-hmm. here. We start off in sixth grade, and they they take everything. They take drama, they take visual arts and uh, design and music, and yeah. but over time, it it sort of filters down into their interests. Yeah. So by let's say tenth grade, students who were in my sixth grade music class might not take music anymore because they've decided drama is their passion. Right. You know, and so it's it's kind of like we're um, doing a little microcosm example of what actually happens in the workplace in life, yep. where little by little you try to refine what you what you decide to spend your time on, so you can become a master at that thing. Yeah, and the most important thing I think he mentioned there is passion. Yes, because if you if you're not passionate about the thing you're doing, you can become good at it, or you can even master it. But will it be the thing that you want to do for the rest of your life? It might include all of those things. You might be, you see these guys that are polymaths, yep. you know, and, and do a lot of things really well. I'll just say this last thing before we go back to Warren. But he does digital animation. Ooh, I said it right that time. <laughs> Not animation. animation. <laughs> when he, like, that's what he does for a living, right? But then when I see what he does in his free time, when he's just sitting at home and, like, got nothing to do, he paints. Okay. You know, he does art. And, and when yeah. people ask me, what do you like to do in your free time? I create music. Yeah. What do you do for a job? I 
help other people create music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's kind of all-encompassing. And I mean, when, uh, when I'm in my spare time, I play hockey. So, I don't know. Yeah, well, you know, I, but you're really good at it. <laughs> yes. yes, I am. <laughs> you know, really, I listen to music. We talk about music. Yeah. We, we, you know, I mean, we're sharing songs back and forth. Yeah. So it's it's an all-encompassing thing. and it's You can't let like any one thing be your, your everything. Like, yeah. we share some common interests outside of music, you yeah. know? But I'm just saying that if, if you find that the thing you do for a living is also one of your hobbies... That's probably a good indicator that you've chosen well. It's a good thing, you know. Okay, so it's going back to the interview. I'm not sure if we're going back to Warren or to me. I think it's Warren. It's probably Warren. Let's uh, throw it throw it over to you, Warren. Back to you, Warren. You can't just jump on something and do it and go, I'm an animator, right? Like, you had to have you the chops to do that, to be, so someone else can almost recognize you as going, oh, okay, yeah, you're... You're good at that. It's funny because you said exactly the word that was in my head as you were saying that. And Leon used that word the other day when we were talking about like producing music, right? You and I talked about how technology gets better. And theoretically, that means that the tools are better. It should just look better. But you still have to have the chops to turn that into something that connects with people. It has to look good or in our case has to sound good. I mean, I love I love what you said about the, uh, you know, the using the computer basically what you're talking about is using the computer as a tool but not ever letting it take over it's not like suddenly you have these amazing tools you can just input information and the computer will process something great you know you could end up with something that's a lot worse because of the technology you know um you were talking about how the technology gets better but we don't just say well then that easy thing is now easier to do we keep on making it more and more complex to match Mm-hmm. what is the end of, of the possibility, you know, so we can stretch it. Yeah, you want to work up to whatever the, the line is. It, it, it's hard. Like, you don't want to just go, okay, well, this is now easier to do something here. I'm just going to stay at this level. You're like, but I can do all this other stuff. So I need to push to that edge. Just constantly keep on pushing against that wall to go, let, let me try and break through it. And that's, I think, when really things happen is when you can, like, constantly go to that wall and then break through it a little bit and be on the other side. And then it's like, okay, that's where the magic happens, right? Um, that's where you're really innovating or you're, you're just getting better and doing like more interesting things. So I just think that comment is so fascinating because, you know, you think about um, all the technology, technological advances in, on the musical side yeah. and how, you know, it would be so easy, like you say, to get lazy and just let the let the technology do the work. And what he's saying is push it to that next level, push your own craft to that next level so and bring yourself to that wall or even through that wall. Yeah, it's it's actually a really cool balance because it's like we have to up our I think you said the term up our skill set, right? Yes. We have to up our skill set to match the technology. So right. what he's saying here reminds me of a, a comment that I heard um I was listening to an interview with Pink Floyd one time where they were talking about sort of the other end of that spectrum where they would go in the studio and they wanted to have certain effects happen that at that point weren't possible in the studio. So they were pushing back at the right. tech guys saying Hey, can we, can you do this? Yeah, we want this uh, this type of reverb, you know, and it doesn't exist right now. So can you create that for us? And so, so the musicians are pushing the envelope rather than the tech the, the tech guys. But I, I wonder if that's not the case. Even like you know, like the the Lindrum, or the synth, the Moog synthesizer, 
or all of these, you know, these uh, even DAW stuff, you know, where the musicians were saying, I want, what if it could do this? Yes. What if you could do this? Yes. What if you could animate, uh, uh, not animate, what if you could uh, automate XYZ function so that we could just go directly to this? But just the idea that that could make a guy lazy. Right. Instead of making the part right or, or, or pushing the boundaries, you're just relying on that technology. But I loved what Warren was saying there is to is to push your game to that. Yes. To we that have to level. we have to upskill as the whole technology, as the process gets more complex, we have to grow with that and yeah. evolve with that, which is super cool. The point that I was trying to make with Pink Floyd is that I feel like there were moments where they found they were at the wall, they pushed through it, and they said, oh, but now we're in this other world. It's Now we can push it a little further. Can you do this? Don't you think that, that like a guy like George Lucas was kind of like that, where he's pushing the, you know, he had his own, his own um, uh, special effects company actually. company or yeah. factory or whatever you want to call yeah, it right Dream, the dreamworks thing yeah. yeah so i mean there's there's an example of a filmmaker who's pushing the boundaries right yeah so i think that's really really cool yeah i mean think about you just mentioned george lucas but george martin where he was taking existing technology and using it to its absolute fullest right using it in ways that it was not even intended to be used correct for. so sometimes it's just being really innovative with existing technology yeah. sometimes it's the pink floyd view of you know what Create a new technology yeah. to to match this need, like you said. What it's if we could the do Steve this? Steve Jobs mentality, right? Sure. It's not doing that now. Make it do that. Yes. Yeah. We we showed um, our our some of our students in the sixth grade here in the school did a an exhibit um, artifacts in our lives. Yeah. And one of the things that a kid brought in was a Sony Walkman oh, cassette player. Fantastic. He actually had one. Yeah. She. He. She. She. Yeah. Um, had wow. a Sony Walkman and revolutionized the you know, the the listening experience, a personalized yes. the listening experience. And the students um, were looking at it. My my students that I took were seventh graders, so just a year older, right? Right. So they had no idea either what a cassette was. I was trying to explain to them. And one of the, one of the ones said, yeah, you have to rewind it with a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I was like, after well, a while, it only if of... it wasn't working. Yes. But, um, you know, sometimes the tape would come out and you have to... Then they came out with the one that would add, automatically uh, turn turn over like the the head would turn over right Ooh, that's nifty yeah. yeah so that um but it was funny because one of the kids the comment was yeah this is what they had before they had ipods <laughs> <laughs> and i was like well then the mini disc was in the middle of that well too. that's a, the digital, digital cassette you know yeah. I, I remember hearing the soup dragons do you remember that band oh on digital cassette on digital i never cassette. actually owned one of those yeah yeah so um, I was studying at the Harris Institute, and they had a digital cassette player at the school. They just happened to have one there. It, was, yeah. it wasn't like a feature of the school or something. And they brought in the Soup Dragons digital cassette. Yeah. Um, and so we listened to that um, music, and I was like, ah, it feels pretty much the same. It didn't, it didn't feel hugely um, different, whereas when I heard um, Minidisc, uh, you know. Yeah. And, that, and even that was compressed. Fairly compressed. Yes, yeah, yeah. But it, it felt like a new technology. Yeah. I, I'm wondering, uh, speaking of technology, um, the metaverse we talked about last time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the 3D, um, what was he call it? What did you call it? Uh, holograms. Yeah, right? Yeah. And the holodeck on, the, on Star Trek and all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm wondering how that will affect animation moving forward. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny because... Um, you used the example when we were talking about that 
you used the example of Queen. You're saying, yeah. wouldn't it be cool? Like you could see Queen in concert because you could have a hologram, a 3D hologram of uh, Freddie Mercury up right. there. Um, and it, they've just, Queen has just released a song that has his vocals. They've done this before. They yeah. finished off a track. Well, the Beatles did that too, right? Yeah, and we talked about uh, Nat King Cole, Mm -hmm. but the Queen has just released uh, a song that was like, quote unquote, lost for 30 years or something like that or whatever it was. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's rife, it's it's ready for that, you know? Prince has the entire vault of music that they're going to be re-releasing long after you and I are gone, you know? Wow. (laughs) And it would be amazing to have a Prince concert where with unreleased music unreleased music of prince and guys like warren and and the 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 faceless hordes yeah. <laughs> go in and create a and concert create for the you whole thing. in the in the metaverse if you go on to youtube and search for maria callas um 3d hologram holo, yeah 3d hologram concert they show a little clip of her and it still does look a little bit like an animation. It looks a little bit like Princess Leia. Well, it'll look primitive the way that the way that special effects looked, like the way that Star Wars looked primitive looks primitive now compared to when it came out in 1977. Yeah. I mean, I wonder that now when I see Princess Leia saying, "Help us, Obi Wan Kenobi," and I'm like, "Why does that look less good in a distant future?" in terms of technology than Maria Callas does now. That's, that's <laughs> odd. Hmm, moving uh, right along. Okay, back to Warren. Man, this is, I love this discussion. Back to him. Yeah. I was listening to your podcast today, the last one, um, okay. How to Make Money. And yeah, there's so many similarities between what, for art, and people trying to make money off of art, and all these little tiny streams, and it's like, you end up having to, to make any money, you would have to have a full-time job managing and doing all these things to make any money. It was, it was like really interesting, like how you were saying, oh, you do this, or do this, or, you know, all these different avenues for getting money, and it's like, that's so much similar to someone that wants to do, like if they want to do art or something like that. The stuff you just talked about with subdividing the frame, the one second, 24 frames, like, and I think that's definitely very cool stuff for people who would be listening to us thinking music and thinking, how do I apply that to what you do? Yeah, well, it was kind of interesting hearing all those things. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty similar to uh like even for the film the effects stuff you can go into animation you can go into lighting you can go into compositing like you could focus on one area of that part of it right, right. or you can try and do a whole bunch but usually you always get for bigger things you always get put into one kind of area kind of thing so yeah it was kind of interesting hearing you think that's changed over the years like you've been doing this for a long time now right do you think that's changed over the years in terms of the, having to be able to be more flexible? Like when you started out, was it like, I do this? or No, when I first started, I did everything in a shot, like matching camera, lighting, animation, uh, rigging, uh, yeah, like compositing, everything. But um, now there, the bigger studios would still have it separated out at that time. Like we were a smaller studio, so you kind of, did a jack of all trades and then it just as it came you know it just came closer and closer and it's like no animation is the one i want to do right and and then that just became the thing because there's so many different technical aspects like it's so complicated and big for movies now and how many shots there are like before you know there would be like 40 to 100 shots in a movie and now there's like 3,000 shots in a movie that you do for visual effects right so wow 
the exponential growth of what's in movies and TV shows and that the complexity that's there now, you just, you know, no one has, it's very hard to have that kind of knowledge to be able to do it to that level. It's just too hard. It, it would be like someone going, okay, well, you're a rock band. Um, you're it. Play every single instrument at the same time and get it all done. Make it beautiful. And you're doing that, you know, for every uh, album you do. And it's right. like, it's impossible. You need to have wow. that. I mean, uh, it, it makes sense to me what you're saying, because I remember you telling me once about how digital animation in itself, the concept of that um, has grown. Like, um, it used to be that if, a, let's say, an actor was in a movie and they had a tattoo and they wanted to remove that tattoo, they used to use makeup. Whereas now, you guys do that. You digitally yep. remove it so that it's perfect. Yeah, compositors would do it. There was one movie where an uh, actress had a little dent in her head, and in her contract, it is that you have to paint out that dent in her head for every single shot. Uh, there was another movie that I think they won the Oscar for makeup for, and like the this isn't what I do. This is the back end, the compositing and everything that is doing it for this kind of stuff. But um, yeah. they had to repaint all the like fix all the seams on the makeup and everything like that, all in digital. And they won the Oscar for best makeup, even though there was that many things that uh, that did it. And so it's um, yeah. Did any of the animators uh, get any of the recognition for that makeup Oscar? Well, animators, we wouldn't be doing that. That would just be all the compositors that were oh, sorry, that yeah. do that part yeah. making. So yeah, no one, no, no one needs, no one needs to know about that. That that's, that that is done. You know, it's all kind of secretive, and yeah. uh, it's like oh no. No, no. Above the line, people are the more things. And then the, you know, faceless hordes of people sitting in dark rooms doing this for like months at a time. Yeah, they don't need to be known. Okay, stop. That's fascinating. Can you take my wrinkles out of this podcast? Um, well, actually, I was thinking... Composite that for me? For the audio version, I was thinking I was actually going to give you a full head of hair. I can't believe... <laughs> You know that that they got an Oscar for makeup, and and it's all basically uh, digital painting. I could just imagine what that would have looked like. It, it's like, do you remember Norma Desmond? Do you know what that is? No. Norma Desmond was uh, a silent movie actress back like in the twenties. You know when there were silent movies. Ah, uh, yeah. So <laughs> you you made those that connection very quickly. You're a clever young lad. I don't know. It could be the lack of hair. I think you makes got a more future. room for the brain. <laughs> I'd learn by osmosis much more easily. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Norma Desmond, Carol Burnett used to do um, a spoof of her um, semi-regularly on the Carol Burnett show in yeah. the 70s. And Really dating yourself. Uh, I, I saw it in reruns. I, saw, I watched it in a museum. <laughs> and uh, I love Carol Burnett. She's so. great. Oh. Um, so Norma Desmond, she used to have this makeup. Oh. So Norma Desmond, she used to have this. <laughs> Norma Desmond used to have this makeup that was like just caked on, like literally the blush on her cheeks looked like polka dots, you know, oh, I, that yeah, kind of I thing. To remember. And super dark mascara, and I suppose when they were doing those uh, silent pictures back in the day, that's how they did it. That was the style. Yeah. But then as she aged and as things changed, sound came in, and like the sound of the. Um, uh, Singing in the Rain does a, a great commentary on this whole thing, moving from silent pictures into sound. Yeah. And then moving into color. Yeah. 
and but she never changed. Right. Her style of acting was just super melodramatic. Yeah. Her style of makeup was super over the top, caked on. Yeah. And I, when he, when Warren was talking about this, I had this image in my mind of like Norma Desmond walking out da 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 with like caked on makeup, and he's like, oh jeez, and he has to go in and like digitally fix all of it, and so they they win the Oscar for it. That'd be great, <laughs> Warren. If you're listening, get on it. Yeah, there you go. So you should reanimate. You should composite. Or get some of the, the the compositors to fix Norma Desmond and re-release it. Yeah, be great. I just I just think it's so fascinating that that there's so many people working on these movies that are, I mean, basically basically faceless. Like he said, the faceless hordes. You know. Well, it's it's what's fascinating for me is that because I've been friends with Warren since we were in high school, I've known this for a long time. Like I remember him talking about stuff like this. What what amazes me is that some of the things that he's mentioning in this interview here, I actually didn't even know they existed. Yeah. You know, like I thought I was so knowledgeable to know that tattoos were digitally removed as opposed to, to makeup. But then yeah. he goes into stuff that I'm like, wow, I never even thought of that. Yeah. But then he's mentioning things like, what the heck is rigging? I don't even know. I don't what know that. what that is. And what's a, what's a key grip? A key grip. I think that's the you know person what a key who grip is? they move the lights and stuff. Yeah. Okay. So why don't they say the lighting mover guy? Anyway, back to Warren. Not Norm. Warren. Warren. Back yes. to Warren. Back to you, Warren. Jeremy's name is not Warren. Go, Jeremy. So that that brings me to a question. What would be something maybe current or maybe of all time that you think is like they really hit the mark? They really did a great job. Oh uh, well, there's been a few that. For me, that I always looked at, and uh, Terminator 2 was probably one of the things that where you're seeing this guy, this this guy like go through bars, and then you know, you know the one with the, that scene where he's there and he's going through the bars, and he just kind of melts through the bars and comes yes, out the yeah. other side. But th- there's just the the best part of that is that there's a little click because he's got a metal gun in his hand and it hits the bars, right? It's just like, it's just amazing. Like that just some, if he just walked through the bars, that'd be good. But that thing of like clicking the bar, just reinforced that. Nope. You can't just move through these things. But, um, but the, the effects in that were like his head exploding all, like just the, the way I was just like, yeah, that is next level. Awesome. Like you look at that and you're like, this is, incredible um another one was uh, pirates of the caribbean when you saw um davy jones with all the tentacles on his face and and right. like that was one of the ones i remember uh thinking that's a lot of shots like because it's a the characters in it all the time doing like so many shots so many things doing that so i was like that was really impressive um those would be two i think that really kind of yeah terminator 2 is definitely one i know a lot of people talk jurassic park and dinosaurs movie there's whole documentaries all on that stuff and everything which is good but i still terminator 2 was the one i was like yeah that's that's cool and when you say that you're you're talking from an animator's perspective like that's cool because that would have been really hard to do um maybe it is from that perspective i just thought of it as i love movies and you know that's it, it was just a cool you know a really good movie i really enjoyed it you know it was so maybe I was looking through it, but I looked through and just seeing some, I guess I saw something that I've never seen before, which to me was incredible, like, because so many things have been done before and everything. So, I mean, even now you're looking at so many digital characters in shows now, like it's, it's, it's still very, very hard to do, to do well. Um, but 
it's you see it all the time, right? There's nothing that's new that you're looking and going, oh my god, that's that's just next level. But the yeah, Terminator Two was like that. I remember. I don't know why I remember this because it was years ago. But when you and I went to see Avatar in Sydney, do you remember we went to the oh. theater to see that together? And when we were walking yeah. out in the parking lot, I remember asking you, "What? What's something?" Because you were like, "Well, it's, it's good. It looks great, you know." But I think it was kind of the same comment even at that time. It's like it looks really nice, but it wasn't like I, I don't remember you being blown away by it. And you said that. One of the hardest things to do is to animate in water, to animate fluid yeah. motion and yeah, fire, water is still always like I mean the next avatar that's coming out is all underwater kind of stuff. So there I mean it's it's uh, like for it's more of a technical, like there's there's a whole separate you know, we can talk for days on just the different departments or whatever. So but um but yeah, I think you know, I, I they did an amazing job. It looks great, it's you, like all the characters in that done really, really like it's really really done well. For me, I think most of it is because I that doesn't matter too much as me if the story isn't there for me as well. Like I, I, I can't look at something and go that's really awesome, but the story's not there. So mm-hmm. for movies, for me at least, if the if it's not like it's not about one piece, I need to have I want to enjoy my experience there rather than just look at eye candy. That's that's amazing because I mean you're talking about eye candy, but from music perspective, I would talk about ear candy really because um, we've in this podcast we've done a couple of things about uh, EDM electric dance music producers, right? And there are some out there that are technically just amazing, like mind blowing how good their ear is to separate sound and to even coming out of my phone, my iPhone. It sounds huge, you know, and I have no idea how they do that. Like, I know technically what buttons to push and all that kind of stuff, but I don't know exactly how they do such a good job. Diplo and Skrillex are two of the ones that I think of as I'm saying that. But then that doesn't mean that every song that they've ever been put their hands on, I love because Mm -hmm. that reason that you said, like the artist that they're working with may or may not have created great lyrics and great little hooks that are interesting and like all of the sort of things together that make the whole experience of listening to that song, you know? Um, yeah. So that, yeah, I, I was thinking about that with, with Avatar and I, I hope that's not like terrible for me to be saying like less than wonderful things about a, a specific movie. But the story itself was, I thought pretty predictable I, I could see kind of where it was going to go it wasn't like a brand new idea where if you put a twist in it you know that would be more than just the animation being really nice it's kind of like yeah. that with songs like i listen to some old songs that maybe the sound quality of the recording is de- mm-hmm. is definitely not as good right but then I listen to the lyrics and the way that all the musicians go together. You know, I think there's a lot of strength in that that is more important than the fact that they use digital technology to make it just perfect sounding. Exactly. I mean, I think it's the total package that you want. And like the crazy thing is, like just even mentioned, like uh, James Cameron directed Terminator 2. James Cameron directed uh, uh, Avatar. Avatar, right? He's one of the top directors of top grossing directors of all time like his movies just make tons of money but yeah like i mean 
it's very very hard to do those movies and and the the tactic how much they put in there but um for that stuff but again for me i i, I would rather watch you know like I love Rocky. Well, you know, a perfect example is one of my favorite movies is King Kong, the original one. You know, it's all stop motion. It's all uh, black and white. You know, you see like the fur, like you can see his hands on the fur as he was posing the character, changing it. Like, I mean, wow. people would be. And then you look at the later King Kongs that they did, like the last one. And it's like, yeah, it's good. But, you know. Even though the techniques it looked better, it's all polished. It's all the. It's the. I still would rather watch the original one because there's something that's just also childhood memories. You know, nostalgia. You have good feelings about it, and you watch it. You're like you have a good feeling about it already before doing it. So Godzilla, King Kong movie, and they'll watch it like for 20 years. I doubt it, but uh, maybe maybe there's a kid that will watch it and go, "This is my nostalgia. I love this movie as a kid." Something, something that you said uh, when we were talking before was about the importance of not just like for music in a movie. It's not just the music. It's knowing when to be silent so that you don't distract or take away from the action. Like sometimes I, I can think of examples where music is playing and then it stops. And that hang time is the tension and release that we in music in general try to build, you know. And I thought that was really cool that as a an animator looking at films you you knew the importance of that as well yeah it's about that you gotta let things slow down and you gotta have breathers you can't just be like full on let's just go bam 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 bam, bam for for action for like for anything right you just can't you need to have you know hills and valleys right let's let's go ramp it up let's slow it down let's ease it just keep it going for a little bit i think that that kind of that pacing again that rhythm of all that stuff is really really interesting and when you want to let it go silent and let the picture or the dialogue tell more rather than you know stepping over it and that's the director's job a lot to be able to want to decipher where those things are you know what's more important to what he wants to tell where's that kind of going so um yeah it's uh it's definitely i think important to get that stuff rather than just being full blast all the time let me just cut in here. See? You got to know when to be quiet. Building the tension. <laughs> it's dynamics in music. It's knowing which notes not to play. There's another thing. There's a technical virtuosity when you w watch somebody playing at that kind of speed. But there's a numbness that sets in after a while. Yes. I'm always going back to Beethoven because when you listen to those creations, it's not just... Beethoven knew when people's ears were going to need a break. Right. I remember the debate years and years ago. I'm going back to like the 90s, but Ingve Malmsteen right. Shredder. Right? And I remember people saying, yeah, he's technically amazing. You know, like, yes, but Eddie Van Halen was a songwriter first, I would say. So, I think so too. And I think that he, he studied the craft of how to you know how to put a song together communication of the song the rather communication than just song. how does like we back to the old discussion does it move your butt or does it move your heart yes right and also when we're doing a live setup in our song list there's a temptation to just want to not have any dead air and go from you know have the the, the tempos perfectly match each other like the dj does mm -hmm. and everything i like to sometimes just finish the song and let everybody just settle down a little bit right and go into something maybe a little bit slower. And the other thing that I do with the band is I'll say, make your set list like two waves. 
So you start at, for example, a song that's we were talking about beats per minute. Mm-hmm. Start at like a hundred. Yeah. M- work your way up. Yeah. And then right around song five, if it's a ten song set, right around song song five, cut it down. Have a break point. Yep. And then start back even slower than you did at the beginning of the set. Well, and a lot of the people that if they're if they're into the band, if they're there to see the band and, yeah. and enjoy the band, they're going to be there for four or five hours. Most people when they go to the terrace, they they're going for the evening. Yes. You know. They're going to hear the band. They're going to hear all of those ebbs and flows. Yeah. They're going to, like some people go for dinner and stay afterwards. and They absolutely do. Stay for the whole evening, you know? Yeah. Come for the Thai food, stay for the live music. <laughs> what? What? That was like a plug you just did there. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> How many minutes into this podcast did we get before I did this shameless Holy plug? Holy cow. Rick Beato. Oh, what about him? Completely unrelated to anything we're talking about, but that's normal for us. There he is. I want to throw out a, an idea that I suggested to you, and I want to see if anyone is listening, mm-hmm. um, what they think of this idea. It's a big one. Okay. Leonard Bernstein. Yes. When he spoke about music uh, back in the 60s, I believe it was, it might have, been, might have even been the late 50s, mm-hmm. he did this thing of um, music education for kids, for children. Yeah. I think it was really some of the best music education videos or early ones recorded. Yeah. Rick Beato. I wonder if maybe Rick Beato, over time, will he be remembered in that same light as a really, actually a really important music educator over Could time? Could very well be. Could you very know? well be. I make a comparison between... I just like the way that he, uh, you know, his perspective on how to discuss these subjects. To me, every time I look at a video of his, I see things that I just didn't think about in the same way. Exactly. Um, you know, we should have done the Rick roll. Remember, the Rick Roll. The Rick Beato introduction music is going to be called a Rick Roll. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Rick. <laughs> Rick is going to love it. Oh, my God. Um, okay, so we should probably go back to uh, the, the subject of this podcast. Yes, let's get back to it. <laughs> okay, it's either me or Warren. I don't know who's going to talk next. Warren or Jeremy, go for it. I'm wondering to what extent the person who composed the score or... The people who are recording it, etc. I wonder to what extent they have a say in saying to the director, "Okay, the music needs to stop here." Like I imagine the director makes that call, but um, like, do, do they have input at all, or is it just like, yeah. "Here's your music and do what you I, want"? No, I think it's uh, you know, who knows? There's probably directors that are micro hands, but I mean, for all this stuff, like film especially it's such a collaborative effort. You know, you have the science of how cameras and lighting and all that stuff work and the artistry of then, okay, well, let's set this up. People are doing it, set design, the prop, clothing, makeup, hair, and then you have the visual effects and doing all that stuff. And then you have the sound. It's such a collaborative effort that, right. you you know, having, you know, they need that. So a composer needs to, you know, someone that's smart, always defers to someone that's better than them at what they're doing, right? Like, right. If, if someone knows it better, give us your information. And it may not take all of it, but they'll, they have to, like, who wouldn't want to get, like, really good advice for stuff? Right. That's that's awesome because, again, it ties in with what um, Leon and I had talked about in a previous episode about producers. Like, you could take, and whether you like his music or not, Elton John, uh, I think... Mm-hmm. Great songwriter, great musician, etc. But he gives his song to somebody else to produce it. 
he or mm -hmm. even to arrange it you know like it's very personal to him when he's writing the song but then he gives it to somebody else to to then arrange where do the strings come in or are there strings or we're going to make this more of a rock sound you know because those people that's specifically their job and their talent you know so what you say is is making sense not just with movies but also just with music in general you know i think that's yeah, probably I one think... of the things i love about this idea is you were talking about your friend um who was an animator and then ended up playing bass in billy talent right mm -hmm. and yeah. that's kind of the same idea is like this whole thing about it's a whole creative vision of the thing not just I'm creative in music and you're creative in animation. It's like we would collaborate together, you know? Yeah. And I mean, for me, a lot of the times I, I kind of like and embrace like happy accidents, you know, um, especially if I was supervising something. And so I'm looking at it and I had something in my mind, uh, you know, talk, the director said it. So I have some. And then I see something that an animator did that I never thought of. Just different, but it looks amazing, right? And then you could like you throw these ideas up to the director, like put it out to them. And they're like, yeah, this this is great. Let's do let's go with that one, right? And so, you know, those kind of things where you're getting so many different ideas coming in and and you can't be I think you can't be set in your way of going, This is my vision, this is what I want to do it. I mean, maybe you're someone's a superstar in that thing and maybe they do have that ability but right. i think you got to listen you got to collaborate collaboration is kind of where things really take off i think all the time that's where it goes in different directions that you didn't expect and everything yeah we we talked about the producer phil specter you know and he had this thing mm -hmm. called the wall of sound and he had his way of doing but even he called in who he thought were the best musicians he didn't try to play it all he just made the mm -hmm. calls on the volume and, and, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, yeah, like, it was interesting because there is the, you know, the uh, composing part and, you know, how a theme can go in there. But um, a lot of times animating, yeah, it, it, usually, it all happens after, like I said, because uh, they need the visuals to be able to look and do the composing, right? They got to see where to hit. Okay, this is the moment we're going to try the teary music get you know manipulate people to feel sad at this part or like tense or nervous or all those things so they need the visuals up there a lot so uh but you know sometimes kind of more sound related rather than the score or anything but you know when we're animating sometimes there'll be a beaten some shot or a sequence you know it's not just necessary one shot it's like the sequence that you're doing but there'll be something where it'd be like oh this may be a good sound cue that they can use for something like you'll do something and it'll have like just a moment where it's like, oh, that could be a good sound cue that they could use. You're never sure if they do it, but you're kind of like, yeah, that may, like, you kind of hear it in your mind. It's like, oh, you can have something like a big thing. And it's like, oh, that could be something that they could add. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's always later on. So it's like, just, right. you're kind of thinking of it, never knowing what's going to happen uh, down the line with it. Right, um, which, which follows with what you said about temp tracks, because Leon and I, I know yeah. when we were listening to Rick Beato on, on YouTube talking about um, scoring music and he talked about using temp tracks, I had never heard that term before. So like for us to bring that up um, is really useful. Like you mentioned it, like it's just, that's just something that's there, you know, whereas for uh, me, I'm like, yeah. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of, like, for, because it usually happens for temp screenings, like, they'll sometimes have a friends and family screening, they'll have a screening for the, uh, you know, studio heads, they'll have a temp screening for audiences to get scores, to get feedback of how the movie's going, 
but it's not in a complete, like it'll be missing visual effects. It'll be just some previs in there, but also they want to put the music in there. So they, a lot of times they'll just take songs, previous type of things that they've scored before or something like that, depending, but they'll put that music in there as a representation of what they're going for. Right. And then, um, and sometimes, like I said, if they're using like a popular song that really, and people are like, oh, this is working great for this, this part, you know, this really is it. There's nothing. And they'll try and go and try and find if they could get a cheaper song or something like that. But a lot right. of times they'll, if it's really working that much, everyone agrees and everything, then they'll probably just try and get the song into the movie kind of thing. So and go, hey, this works great. Let's just do it. And then, yeah. So none right. of like that you, money like comes to Like you had said, us. there was that that movie you worked on where they're popular song and they, they needed to pay like $50,000 or something to use the song. 500. I that it oh, cost them 500,000 for one song for one, for one part of the movie, for one song, just for one sequence. Wow. 500. So, so half a million dollars because they thought the temp track was so good that they shouldn't change it to anything else. Did they do it? Like, did they actually yeah. pay the money? Yep. Yep, it's, uh, they got it. They put it in the in the thing, and it was God. yeah. It just really Warren, big. I'm just going uh, to start streaming my own music to you, like on our on our WeChat <laughs> group, just so you're like yeah. always have those songs in your head. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, here, can I buy one off you? Oh, <laughs> sure. What the heck? You know, if you got a half a million sitting around, no, no problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's awesome. I was also going to mention on Prime right now, there's a documentary. It's more of a fluff documentary, but it's The Sound of 007. So it goes through all the music of 007, but it goes through like how they compose the theme, all that stuff, and, and like the the songs and everything. So you might want to take a look at that. Um, yeah, it's called, I think it's called The Sound of 007. It's on Prime. The Sounds of 007, is that it? It's something like that. I think if you probably search for that, it'll probably come up because I think it's a kind of new release. It's a little bit fluff going, oh, yeah, it's the most recognized theme in all of history. Of, yeah, you ever. Know, it's a little bit, you know, a little bit of MGM pump us <coughs> up uh, kind of thing. For it. But there's still some interesting things that I was hearing of how the theme came. It was from a di completely different song. And then they had to bring in another guy that brought the different music to it and kind of merged it together. But yeah, you may want to take a look at that. Yeah, I definitely will. That's that's cool. Thank you. All right. Great. It's been good chatting. I, I, this is really cool. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, no worries. Hopefully there's at least three minutes worth of stuff in our two-hour call that you can edit <laughs> in there. Yeah, yeah I'm All sure right. there'll be a little bit more than three minutes. It's been good. Have a good one, sir. All right, man. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. Oh, man. Fantastic interview. I'm sorry I missed it, but yeah, man. Well, I, just, I waited for hours. <laughs> Oh, I had to Our seconds. Just getting Whatever. my. I was getting my hair done. I I thought it was fifty thousand dollars. It was five hundred thousand. Wow. Uh, five hundred thousand dollars for. Oh man. Like. That's incredible. Yeah, I've already started streaming my songs to him. I just <laughs> every time he every time we chat now, I just like hum a few bars. Yeah. What do you think about this? Here's a song How about I wrote. this, Warren. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was that was really cool. That's a, a friend of mine from from high school. Uh, yeah. And I was just it was really nice to be able to tie in what we're talking about with his knowledge and expertise. Yeah. Um, and, and you really find out how the, how the uh, sort of the other half lives when you're, when you're dealing with, when we're talking about doing scoring. And these guys got to think about a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know music isn't foremost in his mind, but 
definitely the pacing and the and the rhythm and everything that he talked about was just you know really really interesting from my perspective i felt like i'd be flying blind if i had to like he watches a sequence that he's animated he looks back at it and he's got a rhythm in his head going right yeah for me i was trying to imagine trying to do anything without the music being in there i would i would yeah. feel kind of like lost a little bit well yeah. and we're used to when when we write a song we're used to starting from scratch Yes, and the, and the guys working on these things, they're taking a basically a completed project and going, okay, let's <laughs> let's drop in what we need to drop in here. That's a really good point. I've thought about that before, listening to songs and thinking, like I know, a lot of times with me, I'll start with a drum track just to to sort of give myself something to go off of, you know, instead of mm. a blank page kind yes. of. And I, I listen to songs sometimes and I think, hmm, I wonder how they started that. Yeah. Wolfgang Van Halen is recording his second Mammoth album. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really excited watching that. I, I think he's a super talented kid. Sure. Like, aside from the fact of who his dad His was. name is Wolfgang. Well, and I, also Van Halen. You know, I, <laughs> so. I I made the comment on on our Twitter on our Twitter thing. Yeah, I said, you know, a Van Halen is in the process of creating everything is right in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and um, the, anyway, so he he went into the and he did like all of his drum tracks. And did then, he really? Yeah, and he's, which he plays. Which he plays all of them, you wow. know. So it's it's like a selfie of him, like just dripping in sweat because he's just finished doing drums for the day, you know. Uh, and then he's just posted that he's just done his bass tracks, and so now I get a glimpse into his process, you know, yeah. as a as a single musician who is literally doing what Warren was joking about, recording everything, producing with others. But like he's he's got his hands on every bit. Yeah. Um, and I wonder that sometimes I listen to a song and I think, where did they start? You know, did they start with the drum track like I do? It turns out Wolfgang does. So yeah. I'm doing all right. I'm just wondering how much of the song was, was, was done by the time he got to recording the drums. Does he write in the studio? Yeah. Well, I mean, he's got 5150, right? So he can literally go into the basement and just yeah. do, uh, work it out in the Daddy's studio. recording studio. Wow, that's amazing, you know. That's amazing. Great story of how they started that, actually. Listen, I want to thank you for doing that interview. Really appreciate it. You did a great job. Thank you. Um, it would have been way better if I'd have been there, but still. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, there were moments where I thought, this is flowing so well. What's different about Unnaturally. this? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I want to thank Warren again. I think I, um, I want to thank Warren again. I really appreciate that he gave the time. And then he was willing to do it. I mean, like he said, it's, it's a funny thing to choose a, a music-based podcast to talk about something with somebody who who doesn't know the theory of music, etc. Right. I think that's the whole point of this podcast. Yeah. I think it's everybody who listens to music, everybody who loves a song, everybody who's listened to a music in a movie and felt something, you're the experts, you know, that we're talking to. Right. So it's really nice to have his perspective uh, in here. And I just want Warren to know I'm not going to go try to explore his entire filmography to find out which ones he is not so proud of. Then put down your phone and stop looking at uh, Rotten Tomatoes, will you? <laughs> Thanks again. All right. Great podcast, buddy. Awesome. Thank we're, you. Cheers. Okay, we're fist bumping. Over and out. Okay. We're at we're at Udi Over here. and out. We're Udi here. <laughs> Don't forget to like and subscribe. Good night.